stories. We all have them. They're the compilation of your journey from where you started to how you ended up where you are today. Titanium Blonde is all about sharing women's stories. The good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful, and everything in between all of that. I'm Sherry Eckert. This is Titanium Blonde Talks. And I'd like to know, what's your story? Thank you to our sponsor today, Synergy Soul. For intuitive guidance and tarot readings for the path of self-mastery, visit SynergySoul.org. Brittany Hugenboom, owner and founder of Synergy Soul, has spent the last 12 years of her life honing in on the journey of self-mastery through the universal consciousness to provide the highest guidance for not only herself, but for those who seek to do the same. She can assist you with moving forward with your personal growth journey. Thank you so much, Brittany and Synergy Soul, for supporting Titanium Blonde Talks. Hi, and thank you for joining me today for another episode of Titanium Blonde Talks, a podcast for women, about women, and telling women's wonderful stories. Again, this is a podcast for grown-ups with grown-ups using grown-up language. So just remember that if there are small ears listening, this might not be the right time for you to listen to this podcast. Today, I am bringing you a guest that has been in my life for about six months. We met up in a mastermind class together online, and she is a very dynamic person who is not only a yoga instructor, but she's also an artist, and she's doing all sorts of wonderful things. The reason that I asked her to join me today is that she has a really great philosophy. She's got some really interesting things that she's doing to help support other women. And since this podcast is all about women and supporting women, I thought this would be a perfect interview. Phoebe Sherman is an artist, yoga teacher, and an entrepreneur. She runs Girl Gang Craft, a community for women based out of Oakland, California. Girl Gang Craft hosts events and workshops and helps women build their brands. Girl Gang Craft also has an in-house line of feminist clothing and accessories designed by Phoebe. Phoebe, thank you for joining me today and welcome to the podcast. Hi. (laughs) So will you just kind of do a little bit more of some in-depth information about who you are, how you ended up creating your Girl Gang Craft group, and and kind of what inspired you to pull all of this together? Yeah. So um, I've been a yoga teacher for five years and was kind of waitressing and whatever else I could do to pay my bills and also uh, making art and actually making jewelry. I made really shitty jewelry for a while. (laughs) (laughs) And So that's kind of how I got on the art fair circuit. And I Girl Gang Craft actually happened by accident exactly about a year ago. I just got a group of some girls together and had craft fair and it was very successful and we kind of made an Instagram and a website for it and by that time I was more focused on selling my art instead of jewelry around the election I created this uterus design and made some pins and pouches and we gave 10% to Planned Parenthood and so far we've raised over $1,200 for Planned Parenthood Um, That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. So that kind of became a success. And we started kind of doing quarterly, well, I guess three times a year, Girl Gang Craft. And here we are a year later with 
four events under our belt and we've kind of expanded into other things. So I do a lot of logo design and website design for people. We host workshops and help women better their business. That's such a tremendous thing because I just feel like there are so many women now who are realizing that they don't need to have a college degree. They don't need to take a traditional path to whatever a career is that they can kind of do whatever they want to do, but sometimes they're not quite sure where to start. So creating something like you've done, I'm sure has been this incubator for really helping women leap out of the space of either not knowing what they're doing or to be able to expand their reach from where they started. Yeah, I think so. And I think Oakland is a really great space for it because there's a lot of people doing side projects kind of thing while they're also trying to pay their bills. But I think there's a lot of successful people coming out out of Oakland that their side project has become their full business. And so I think it's a really great place to be and be inspired by others. Tell me, take me back to, you said you you were making really shitty jewelry. And, and as a jewelry designer, that, that makes my heart kind of flutter a little bit because we always, it's so interesting. I've been creating jewelry for th- over 32 years. And I look back at some of my first pieces, which I kept to keep myself humble and look at that and go, oh my God, that was so awful. <laughs> and I have come so far since then. But it's always interesting that I don't know about you and how you moved forward with your art, but a lot of people are mostly self-taught and they they start out of a desire to maybe to create something for themselves and then their friends see it or, or you know, it just kind of snowballs from there. You said you segued from doing your jewelry into your art. So was the art something you were doing on the side or was that something that the jewelry kind of led you to a different space? Yeah, so actually kind of the opposite. I did go to school. I studied um, art and feminist studies and here I am today using both <laughs> But I was trained as a printmaker. So I did things like wood, woodblock stuff, um, lithography, which is on stone, um, intaglio, which is like an acid process on copper, and screen printing. And so this is what I studied in school. And then when I got out of school, I didn't have a studio because all those things kind of require a space and equipment. And I didn't have those things. So I just wanted something to do with my hands. Jewelry was kind of just a fun, casual thing to do. And I just did, you know, wire working with crystals. And actually, like, people really loved my jewelry. Um, I think my um, aesthetic was great, but just the quality was not the best. So, yeah, I kind of realized that. And I was like, I really should go back to my fine art but I do like the thing about jewelry is that I like that it's useful people can wear it so I think I wanted to expand my art into something a little bit more functional tell me how you sort of shifted then did you create an art space where you live did you get yourself a studio how did you shift then back to your fine artwork that you went to school for yeah so uh, a couple ways there is a community print shop kind of around the corner from me that I discovered and so I I kind of redabbled in some wood blocks and that's maybe some something I'd like to get back to. But um, I decided to kind of move forward with in two ways, one with screen printing and one with painting. 
both those things you can kind of pretty much do anywhere. I didn't have an office at the time. I was kind of doing everything out of my living room. With screen printing, I would just pull out my giant table in the living room and get to it. And that's kind of, that's what I first did the uterus design with. Um, So I was screen printing uh, little zipper pouches. And yeah, and then painting, uh, I do dabble in fine art, dabble because I haven't been painting lately, but it's on my to do list. Painting can be done anywhere. I do have an office now, which is so lovely. So I have a full room for all my stuff instead of it piling out of the living room, which is very nice. Yes. And I saw that very gorgeous chair that you have. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> with, with with the cat that isn't yours. Yeah. The cat is not <laughs> who just wanders into our house. They have a dog too that also wanders into our house. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, they, they must think that you're, that, do you feed them? We don't, but we do walk the dog occasionally. And the cat <laughs> All right. So tell me a little bit about your yoga journey. You said that you've been a teacher yeah. for five years. What, what drew you to start teaching yoga? Yeah. So I discovered yoga. I, so I was a dancer my whole life. So I've always been in my body, if you will. But dance is pretty intense. It is a performative thing. I love performing. There's kind of, if you're serious in dance, there's kind of this whole other level of competition and things that are not necessarily body positive. I discovered yoga in college after I had actually had some uh, some issues with body image and an eating disorder. And yoga really fixed me, changed everything. Um, I kind of started to dabble in this one studio in Santa Cruz, fell in love with it. I loved that you sweat, and but it's not running. You, you're just doing what feels good. It was kind of a quick turnaround. I did maybe a year and a half of yoga, and then I was kind of ready to be a yoga teacher. As soon as I graduated, um, I got my 200 hours in Oakland, in Berkeley at Yoga to the People. Yeah, and then right away I knew that I wanted to teach. So I've been teaching ever since. I've since done my 300 hours in India. And right now I am an Ashtangi. So I practice Mysore yoga, which means I get up every morning and I kind of practice on my own at the studio. And you get kind of granted poses when you've completed the pose before. So it's not like when you go to another studio where there's one teacher and it's you're led all together. Everyone's kind of doing different movements at the same time, which I think is really interesting and fun. Well, that's interesting that you made the comment about being a dancer. What kind of a dance? So were you classical ballet? Were you modern jazz? All of it? I did everything. I mean, mostly jazz. Um, I also did theater. So kind of whatever accompanied theater, um, but kind of modern and ballet and tap. I did a little salsa, a little samba, just everything. (laughs) Well, it's interesting. I was a ballerina classically trained for 17 years. I don't know about you, but I I walked into an Iyengar class the first time and the old ballerina in me went, ooh, body placement. I like this. And that was sort of how I started the journey 26 years ago with yoga. But you're right. It's such a, I found it to be such a healing practice, whereas dance, like you said, is very competitive. There can be a lot of pressure to be thin, to look a certain way. And it is very competitive. If you want to do any sort of dance that is a career it, it's all about competing for a spot. And yoga is one of those things where I walked in and she said, you know, you're not in competition with anybody in the room and you're not in competition with yourself. And I was like, well, I'm a competitive athlete and I'm a ballerina. I'm not quite sure what that means. 
<laughs> I don't know if if you found with yoga in your journey and your teaching in that have you noticed that you can also then read people when they walk in the door and you kind of know someone who's embodied versus the ones who are walking in with a whole lot less of not living in their body? Definitely. I mean, definitely. You can tell people, people who have explored maybe other avenues of fitness or other avenues of spirituality or someone who, you know, is finally getting the courage to walk through the door. And I think those people are so amazing for, you know, making that step. And, you know, maybe it changes their life. Maybe it doesn't, but they're giving it a try. I love that. True. Me too. And it's, it's one of those things where I always feel like I have the gift of being able to watch someone who's consistent with their practice in my classes actually come back into themselves. And it's this amazing process that happens. And most of them don't even realize when it happens, but it's just as the instructor, I can look out and, and every once in a while, I'll just see some, it's almost like they kind of snap back into place. And it's just this incredible feeling to know that I was sort of the guide to help them get to that point. And I don't know what drives you to be an instructor other than maybe you're trying to help everyone else live a little bit better in their body through yoga or, or what's your philosophy with why you decided to become the instructor that you are? Yeah. I think probably the initial answer is different than the current answer. Um, That's good. (laughs) I think I just wanted to share the practice. And I mean, I guess that answer is still the same. I still want to share the practice, but also I couldn't imagine not teaching, like maybe teaching won't be the same for me in the same capacity in the future but I'll always be sharing yoga with people. I, yeah, I guess that's my answer. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great answer. (laughs) I do really enjoy. uh, So right now I'm teaching two very different classes and this is a very sort of a new structure for me. I'm teaching an Ashtanga class um, at one of my studios, Left Coast Power Yoga in Oakland at noon. And then I'm kind of doing the opposite. So Ashtanga it's very masculine practice. It's a very rigid practice and it's the same thing every day. We don't really finish the whole primary series in an hour, but we do as much as we can. And then at night I'm teaching a lunar flow class, which everyone's been like, what is this? And I'm like, I don't know. It's whatever you want it to be, but it's, it's very <laughs> opposite. Um, it's a very feminine, sultry kind of flowy class. And I am reading some poetry. We're pulling some tarot cards. We're doing some chakra work, lots of hip openers, and it's totally different. And both feel so great. Um, I really like guiding people to connect to their spirituality. And then I also really like these who are a little bit more into it already. I like advancing their practice. That's really interesting to me. So is the the lunar flow, is that kind of new for you? It's new. I was kind of teaching a different class. We've just kind of solidified the titles of these class because the studio has been going through some changes. And Mm -hmm. I find there's a lot of freedom in that title, actually, because it's like a little, it's like an inspiration. It's like a jumping off point. Both classes that I was teaching before um, maybe got a little muddy in the middle. And I kind of like having that complete separation. One is an Ashtanga and one is this kind of hippy-dippy, love yourself, self-care vibe. One has a lot more structure and the other one sounds like it's a lot more free-flowing and going with the energy that shows up. Yeah, exactly. Tell me about how art has changed your life. Hmm. So art probably existed in the same way for me that yoga exists now. I think it was a meditative state before 
you know, when I was feeling sad or bored or, you know, wanted to connect with myself, I would sit down and paint or draw something. Now it's a little bit different because it's almost, I mean, it's work for me with logo design or, you know, designing products for Girl Gang Craft. It's a little bit more, it's just work. But it's interesting, things kind of at least with products and stuff, flow out of me really fast. I'll just kind of get my idea down and then, you know, I'll polish it and there it is. Paintings maybe a little bit more like yoga these days in that it is a meditative state and it's almost, a, I need it to be a discipline like a yoga practice is to arrive at my easel. I'm staring at it right now and I, it's on my <laughs> And it comes and goes like... You know, I haven't really painted actually for a couple months and I have this new series in mind that will happen shortly. But yeah, I mean, just art has been a part of me anywhere from, you know, me liking fashion, me creating things. I'm a very visual person. So I like to give back to the visual community, if you will. Let me ask you this, because it's been one of the hesitations for me to take my jewelry any farther. I mean, I've done some art shows, I've done some holiday shows, but I've never really gone any further because I was always concerned about what I found as a deeply satisfying creative process that sometimes when I make jewelry, it's it's I visualize the person who will purchase the piece. Most of my stuff is one of a kind. So I was always worried about it becoming work. And you made a comment about that just now about, you know, that it's work. So was that a hard transition for you to make? Do you worry about your creativity being stifled or does it just push you in a different direction creatively? I think I go very back on back and forth on it. I mean, I'm always excited to create. So whether it's work, I don't know. I don't really have an answer for that. But I think I'm discovering more mediums. Like I think this logo design thing is a really interesting way to create because I'm creating for someone else. So there's this like communication factor. You're not always going to like what you're creating for someone else also. Uh, You're not always going to be creating the same thing for yourself or the way you would be creating it if it was for yourself. I think there's just more. And I'm so happy that I can pay my bills doing all of these things that I love. It doesn't necessarily feel like work. And I think really maybe the painting is the thing that's kind of separate. I mean, I would like my paintings to sell more, but... Um, it's kind of hard when my paintings are when people can buy a $12 pin of mine instead of a $600 painting they're gonna <laughs> buy the $12 pin, at least right now and maybe that'll change but I do enjoy my work and I mean I wouldn't I wouldn't change it for a second so well so the thing is that the thing that I never thought would happen is that I'm on my computer much more than I ever thought I'd be. Yeah, well, that comes with doing the logo design, right, is is you you do all of that pretty much on your computer. The other thing is is that you have really put together this space of multiple streams of income. And I have always believed that in order to truly be successful, you need to have multiple streams of income so that if one of those streams gets choked off for whatever reason, you can then you know, rely on the other ones and develop a different stream of income to keep bringing things in. So you kind of have this 
thing going on where it's not the same thing the same way all day, every day? And do you find that as an artist that that's something that you really seek out? Or do you need more structure, more things that are kind of the same way? I don't think I've ever been the kind of person to do one thing, like ever in my life. You know, I was always the person who did dance and theater and swim team and volleyball and basketball, blah, 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 blah. You know, even in college, I couldn't have one major. So I don't think it was a choice. I think I would never do one thing. And you know, I mean, I I do agree with you. But also, sometimes I think it would be nice to focus on one thing. Um, <laughs> you know, but that's just that's just not my life at all. I think Girl Gang Craft has been more co- cohesive in an umbrella sense of encompassing all these things I do. So that has helped me ground a little bit, I think, because at the end of the day, all of these things are kind of under these title, this title of Girl Gang Craft, except for the yoga. And that wasn't always the case. I was still kind of keeping my own art and in even my like uterus line and stuff under my own name. And just the past few months, I actually joined them. So having this Girl Gang Craft kind of umbrella has been really nice and grounding and all these different revenue streams under one thing has been helpful. Let me ask you this because we were both in the Hell Yes Mastermind group and then you did the Academy with Pat as well. Your first big event, when was the first one, the big one that you did? Well, it's been bigger each time. So I, I would say our first bigger event was our third event in April. Yeah, in April. Mm-hmm. And then we were also bigger this past, uh, last last week, last weekend. And that definitely, that April show kind of put us on the map way more. We were just a small, like, you know, there was maybe 23 of us in our friend's cafe. And that April show was definitely very successful. Well, Because I, I remember you looking to find an event space and, and you know, trying to pull all that together. So it, it sounds like you were very successful with that and kind of getting your whole group out in front of a wider segment of the population. What do you attribute yeah, that definitely. what do, what do you attribute that leap to? What what sort of things clicked into place to make it be that space that happened for you? I wouldn't have one moment. I mean, I think I'm learning that I'm <laughs> I mean, like Pat says from Hell Yes Academy, right? Everything this business is a practice. Yep. And I think I've really held on to this. I mean, I'm learning things about what I'm doing every single hour. And I think it was just time for us to be that big in April. And we're hoping to be even bigger for December. I'm just, you know, taking notes each time I do these things to figure out what's working and what's not. And I think, I mean, venue spaces in Oakland are ridiculous. I just got a proposal for a December space already. And you know, it's so much more expensive than he told us originally because there's all these add-ons. It's, you know, it's just, it's hard <laughs> to figure out what works and what doesn't and not oversaturating your audience, but also keeping yourself relevant. It's it's a very delicate balance. Well, that was going to be my next question was, you know, paying for event space because I know that San Francisco area and Oakland, that real estate's at a very high level there. So I would imagine that any space that you go to rent is going to be very expensive. So how, how do you, I mean, do you, do you set a budget that you know you need to stay? I mean, how do you determine whether it's a good use to be in a specific space or not? Uh, well, that, that is the question. <laughs> <laughs> 
we've had a wide variety of spaces and we've kept it very relatively cheap so far. Right. Um, Girl space was very affordable. And this past space was actually donated to us because there was a restaurant and they wanted people in the space and blah, 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 which it's so nice when the community is getting involved. There's been so much good community. This next space was a high quote. And we're trying to figure out how to balance that. We want to keep... So basically, our process is artists apply to be a part of these events. Right. So we are making money from the applications and from booth fees once they get accepted. Right. And so that helps pay for the space. It helps pay for the marketing. It helps pay for my time spent. We want to keep our prices affordable for the artist community, though. So the craft fair circuit is a very... It's a competitive circuit here in the Bay Area. Things are expensive. They're hard to get into. Just paid $700 for a booth in the city. Holy shit. Um, mm -hmm. Um, That's for two days and it's a very well-known craft fair, but that's not even, that's not even the most expensive show. Right. And so we want to keep it affordable to our community and we want to keep it accessible to maybe some beginning artists who aren't necessarily getting into these uh, bigger shows. We always have a scholarship booth option, but it's hard because I have to pay for the space. I have to pay for my own time and, you know, keep myself eating and fed. (laughs) (laughs) And a roof over your head. Yeah. (laughs) So it's very hard. The venue thing is so weird. I mean, we've had people like lie to us about square footage. I'm like, are you Like, are you doing the math? Like, this math is not right. This is not the square footage you said. Um, And we're essentially reselling off our square footage. So that's pretty important to us. Yeah. So, yeah. it's And then you want to, you know, find a space where there's foot traffic. That's really important. Throwing events in the Bay Area is really competitive also because there are so many things to do. Yes. And I like this one. I'm paying, um, I'm working with a Facebook ads person right now. And she's like, you know, Hosting events in the Bay Area is one of the hardest things because there's so many things and we're a flaky bunch. (laughs) (laughs) People don't want to commit to things here. So (laughs) yeah, so it's, it's, you know, it's an uphill battle. (laughs) But I would imagine that the artists who come to your show, they also do their own marketing with their own clientele and let everybody know where they're going to be and that sort of thing as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So in theory, the idea is the more artists you have, the more attendees you have. Correct. Yeah. In theory. Right. (laughs) But then it gets competitive too, as an audience member too, who, how are you spending your money? Yep. Which artists are getting paid? We always do. We've been doing surveys after our last shows and there was a couple people who made over a thousand dollars and there was a couple people who didn't sell anything. Yeah. And it's hard to facilitate and it's hard to force people to buy from everyone and just doing the best I can to get the word out and get as many people who want to spend money in as possible. Being the host or the event coordinator, like you said, you're in charge of providing the space and they, and and doing whatever marketing you need to do on your end. But again, you can't force somebody to buy anything there. You know, sometimes shows are wildly successful and sometimes they're not. I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, but, but it's interesting that you made the comment about San Francisco, about people being sort of flaky, flaky and wanting to keep their options open because you never know what else might be going on. But are you finding, do you think that in your area that people are 
returning back to wanting to purchase more handcrafted gifts, jewelry, or whatever it is that they're purchasing? Are you finding that people are more drawn to getting back into that space instead of mass produced? Yes, definitely. I think people are really wanting to support small businesses. It's on trend to support small businesses. But that's hard too, because the small businesses in this place are so polished, so beautiful, and so amazing that so a small business, quote unquote, is still there, you know, there's some high, there's some higher quality <laughs> um, handmade items in this place. So sure. I mean, extra competitive too. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, it's always interesting because I don't know if you know Seattle at all, but the east side is sort of like where all of the tech companies are, although Amazon's right in downtown. But you, you really see this difference in terms of the shows and, and the vetting process and who gets in and why. And there's sometimes favoritism that happens. And it can be very disheartening as an artist to try and you know keep doing that when you feel like you're bumping up against a space that if you could just get your foot in the door or just get there and and be involved one time, that it it could totally change the trajectory of what you're trying to do. I would imagine that that's, you know, San Francisco is huge compared to Seattle, that that's magnified quite a bit in your area. Do you find that there are certain areas in San Francisco and Oakland that are a little more funky, a little bit more artist sort of centric than others and that there's some spaces that are going to be a lot more high polished high end kind of thing or is it kind of just a a mix of everything um well i think it's a mix i think it's a mixed bag because um if we're talking like retail there's definitely there's definitely places that are more polished right and definitely like streets that are more polished if we're talking like events same sort of thing yeah i mean i would say that there are events like west coast craft is the big event here we kind of joke that none of our vendors are none of our vendors are getting in i have a lot of friends who are not getting in yeah and they're letting a lot of people who aren't from the West Coast be in this show that's about the West Coast, which I think is unfortunate. <laughs> hope you guys don't hate me if you guys hear this. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's interesting to me why they would do that, because it wasn't the premise originally that it was supposed to be supporting of West Coast artists? I, I'm not sure, but perhaps. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's what we're really striving to do is giving these people who aren't getting into some of these uh, more polished shows an opportunity, but it's hard too because we want our space to be curated. We want it to be affordable, but we also want to make money. And you got to ride that, you got to ride that, you know, healthy edge of, you know, one side being too much and one side being too little and it can change. I would imagine at any point in time. Yeah. And I think our demographic is a little bit younger also. And that's, we're definitely choosy with how we spend our money. Like, yeah, we'll spend $150 on a dress, but we have to love it, you know? So I think that's another interesting thing. I think a lot of these other shows do have a demographic that's a little bit older. I mean, San Francisco is like the wealthiest place in, you know, in this, in this country. I did think I just read an article today that if you're making under 117 hundred thousand dollars a year you're in low income (laughs) well if you just think about what it costs to live there you there's no way you can make fifty thousand dollars a year 
and and survive without having to have either multiple roommates or living way out away from the city. It's interesting to me because we've been seeing this rental boom in Seattle and the sales boom in Seattle and everybody wants to blame it on Amazon and Google and all the biotech firms and and all of that and it squeezes out the people that don't necessarily have the job capacity to be able to afford $3000 for a one bedroom apartment. What do you I don't it, it's interesting to me to kind of see that how does a society, how does a city, how do they address that and to be able to then be able to have disposable income to be able to invest in things that you want to do. It, it it's it's just an interesting sort of time in our society right now to see where the turn is going to happen and what's going to happen with all of this. I have no idea. I've been in my place for 5 years, so I've kind of locked out on the rent control thing and that's why I'm able to afford to we have a three bedroom um wow. and it's me and my partner and we have another roommate and I'm lucky to be able to have an office too for not very much more because I've been here for five years right but I mean I can't, I can't move <laughs> I can't. <laughs> like we might as well split this three bedroom between me and my partner then us find a one bedroom I mean, it's ridiculous in the yeah. past five, five years and I grew up here my whole life in um Marin and you know the city was cool once <laughs> And not to say it was not cool, but it's just a very different kind of person that lives there when I was than when I was growing up. Yeah. Yeah, that that's sort of the tale I've been hearing from a lot of different people in a lot of different parts of the country that things are changing and a lot of places where kids have grown up, they can't afford to buy a home and go back and live in the same community where they grew up, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Who or what? has been the biggest inspiration in your life? Oh boy. I don't know. I can't, I I just feel like I'm generally an inspired person and I get inspiration from a lot of things from um, the magical people I meet. My parents have been so supportive to me, my partner, you know, I learned so much from Pat Bailey. Yes. Um, uh, I think I just like to stay inspired. I'm very like nature oriented. So I like to go camping a lot and be away from my phone and then feel rejuvenated afterwards. But I def I don't think I could say one thing. Well, and it's interesting what you said about checking out and going out and being in nature to be able to be inspired and to be able to fill back up with your energy and and move forward from there because I I think that that is so important that that is the piece that a lot of people don't make time for in their life is to actually get outside of their daily routine and go and be somewhere where they can be outside, whether it's the mountains, the beaches, whatever it is, but to be somewhere away from their daily life, to put down their phones and be engaged with where they are in that particular moment in time. And it's it's so interesting to me. How old are you, Phoebe? 26. So it's so interesting to me because I'm 57. I have a 32-year-old daughter. And it's so interesting to me to look at people that are younger people now and to realize that most of them don't even know what a rotary dial telephone is. <laughs> <laughs> or the fact that we, as kids, I was outside all day, every day, all summer long, except for when I snuck back in the house and hid in my closet to read when my mother told me to go outside. So it's just interesting to me to see the very different path of what's going on and how kids are engaged and what they're doing. And technology has 
just played such a huge part in people's lives where it didn't before. And I, I wonder about how that's going to change people's lives, how they approach their creativity, how they approach their their space of doing something that brings them gratification on a, on a different level than besides just being plugged into their phone or a computer or a TV or, or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious to see what the ne- the following generations are going to uh, bring forth because, you know, it's always interesting to look back as someone who is older and I don't necessarily miss those old days. I've been involved in technology since the eighties and have always loved it. But you know, if it ended tomorrow, I could figure out a way to keep myself entertained. I don't know about a lot of other people. <laughs> yeah. So it's so hard. Yeah. It, I it is. I'm not it, sure what the answer is. Well, and I didn't want yeah, I didn't want to be a kind of person who's on my computer all the time. And here I am, but you know, I make sure that I'm away from it when I can be. Well, and that was interesting that you said, you know, you're on the computer a whole lot more than you ever thought you would be. But it it's led you to a different sort of facet of your creative process. So, you know, that you have to look at it that way, too. Where do you think you defy expectations in your life? Where do I defy them? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I mean, I know that it's funny. I mean, I kind of never really thought when I was younger, I never really thought I'd work for myself, which is silly now that I think about it, because now there's no other option. <laughs> I would never not work for myself, really sort of recently I was cleaning out my parents' house and I found a list of all the things I wanted to do when I grew up. I'm pretty much doing all of them. That's awesome, Phoebe. (laughs) Which is really kind of cool. I mean, somehow, except, except work for Pixar. That was always, (laughs) Um, but I mean, I'm really kind of doing all of them. I mean, there's kind of funny how like plain they are, but you know, there's like perform, there's dance, there's model, there's paint there's uh marketing and like there's all these weird things that I'm literally doing all of them somehow I I like to think of yoga as an authentic performance and I think I really just like that communication between who you're working with but yeah so I don't I I feel like I'm actually pretty much living up to my expectations (laughs) okay weird way (laughs) I, I, I like that that's great let me ask you this since we're talking about your childhood and and your list that you made what's one of your favorite childhood memories that's a good question. I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, I had a very great childhood. I see my parents pretty much every week right now. I've chosen to live near them. They live in Marin. I I mean, I, things that come to mind are just sitting and reading Harry Potter on my couch. There's, you know, some travel that we had with family. I But I, I don't think I can really think of just one. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, that's great. If you have multiples, that's, that's wonderful. What do you purposely leave undone in your life? Anything? Um, when you wrote, when you, when you asked this on the questions, yes. I had a hard time thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> I really, I really have a hard time leaving things undone. Like my to-do list, for example. Yes. Um, but I've gotten better at like, well, I did all I could do today and I really need to take this rest and like this can happen to tomorrow. I'm one of those people who like hates waiting for responses from emails, although it's normal. Please don't feel rushed to send me emails, people. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I don't know. But you know, I've grown up, I've, I've always been, I've, I've always dealt with anxiety. And that, you know, hindered me, but also helped me because I'm able to do all the things that I do. <laughs> but I'm a Virgo also. Um, I was going to ask you that. What? Yeah, I'm Virgo through and through. Definitely learning to like, be patient when I don't get a response and I can't finish a project, you know, leave things in the office at the end of the day and leave my phone because my phone, like Instagram isn't like, it's not not fun for me, but it's work for me. Right. It's not like, a, it's always work. So trying to like leave things away from me at the end of the day. I think is in- Well, and, and the fact that your office is in your home. So you have to probably really find that space of, like you said, leaving work at the end of the day and then going out and engaging with your partner and, and living your life that is outside of what goes on in your office on a daily yeah. basis. So then tell me something that has been a catalyst for transformation in your life. I mean, definitely my yoga practice. I've always been searching for the type of yoga I want to do. I've gone through very different variations of what kind of yoga I want to do. And finding Ashtanga has really changed everything for me. Um, And I don't always go. I mean, you're supposed to go five to six times a week. I mean, go three to four realistically because I take my rest in Portland or maybe I'm lazy in that moment. I'm not sure. But... My Ashtanga class has been, or my Mysore practice has been so physically changing for me. I mean, my whole body has completely changed in the two years that I've done that. I've lost a bunch of weight, built a lot of muscle, felt confident in my ability to be an athlete, which is something that I never really felt before. Yeah, I mean, I think that's been strong for my physical and my emotional well-being. I mean, it's been great tool to deal with anxiety and depression and yeah and also realizing that doesn't get rid of anxiety and depression though like it's still there Um, (laughs) yes that's true but it does really give you I feel like those coping skills or a space to be able to give yourself a pause in that never-ending what I call the gerbil on the wheel brain activity where your brain just goes crazy and the anxiety gets out of control and boy Really, because when you get on your mat and you really focus on your breath and you focus on the motion, that there really isn't room for anything else. And you, yeah. you have to stay strictly present where you are. And boy, I, I know as far as my anxiety and depression, it has just been this huge, huge space for me to just find some peace. And um, that's that's been the biggest thing for me from yoga is just to be able to find that peace in my never ending brain. So as we move on to the next question here, I want you to just kind of take a moment and think about all of the different arenas in your life that you move through, your personal, your different streams of income. And what is your most relatable quality, do you believe, that allows you to be effective in all of those areas? My most relatable. Mm-hmm. I think I'm just like a generally like friendly person. I mean, I love people. I'm authentic. I'm not trying to be anything that I'm not. I mean, I think people feel comfortable with me. I'm not like striving to be perfect. Yeah, I eat healthy a lot of the time, but like I'm a big burrito fan. <laughs> I not live without chocolate. I drink. Uh, no, I like I party, but I'm also aware of the effects of that stuff on myself. And I think I like, I love talking to people. 
So I think that's what makes me relatable. People have no problem, you know, opening up to me, I think, or telling me what they're thinking, or hopefully asking me to hang out because I love to hang out. I think that's my answer. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I just kind of get that it's your personable and you're just relatable as a person that you are open and honest and you probably make people feel very comfortable when you talk to them or you're inclusive. It sounds, I mean, you couldn't have created the space that you created for your girl gang craft without being inclusive and just your thoughts around wanting to keep it so that it can pay for itself, but also to be able to support artists and make it affordable. You know, that those are a lot of balls to keep in the air, Phoebe. And for you to get to the point where you are now, that's a tremendous accomplishment. I hope you have a moment in your day every once in a while to think about just what you've accomplished so far. I mean, I know you have a lot of stuff that you want to still do, but I hope that you take time out every day to just kind of think about all of the things that you've done and all of the people that you've helped along the way, because that's a pretty big deal. Thank you. Yeah, I I try. I try to sit with all of the things that have already happened. It's hard when I'm such a momentum moving person and like after one show, I'm immediately planning the other but I'm trying to make more space to be appreciative and be grounded and be proud of myself. And I am, I'm definitely proud of myself. Well, you should be because I just, I'm so impressed with everything you've done in just the short amount of time that I've known you with what you've put together. I mean, that, that's just, that's a tremendous accomplishment. And I just, I want to make sure as someone who is always chasing the, well, what's next, what's next. And I still have to do this. And I still have all of these cards on the wall of stuff I haven't done yet and blah, 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 that I forget a lot of times to think about just how far I've come and not just think about what it is I still want to do. And there's not enough hours in the day to do everything. Just give yourself that time, even if it's just a couple of minutes in the morning to go, you know what, I've gotten a lot done. And now we're going to get ready to move on from here. So what I'd like to do now is to have you tell everyone where they can find you. Yeah, so you can find me personally on Instagram, Phoebe Sherman. Um, my personal website is phoebesherman.com if you want to do any like brand collab with me or know my fine art. And then, of course, girlgangcraft.com is my other website for Girl Gang Craft and Instagram Girl Gang Craft. I'll make sure to put all of that stuff in the show notes as well so that everyone can find you, Femi, because I just think it's so important that people go out and take a look at at everything that you've created because it it's really amazing and I don't care how old you are that you know this this is a it's a really great thing that you're doing in supporting women and I just feel that what I'm trying to do with Titanium Blonde is to create this connection and this community over competition that as women the more we support each other the more we create these groups of women coming together and doing things that our energy is unstoppable and i think that's what scares a lot of men out there i could be wrong but i think that that's a part of what's going on especially now politically is that you know the men are really afraid cuz the women have woken up and they're coming for your ass brother mm-hmm. <laughs> and and don't get me wrong i love men love men i am not a man hater by any stretch of the imagination i've spent so many years working in male dominated industries and worked mostly with men 
And, you know, and that was fine. But the older I get, the more I see women are craving connection. They're craving other women. They're create, they're craving supportive of each other. And where we've been pitted against each other for so long that it's refreshing for like, especially women my age to kind of wake up and go, you know, we don't have to be competitive with each other. We can actually uplift each other and everybody can move forward as long as we're all working together to do that. I'm just, again, I'm so impressed with everything you've done. And I so appreciate you making the time to be here with us today and give us a little peek into your life. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Sherry. All right. Have a great day, Phoebe. Bye.